Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Amateur Gourmet Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, the Amateur Gourmet, and today's episode is all about TikTok. Now, I know a lot of you are groaning at that because you're an Instagrammer or a Twitterer or a Facebook person, and you just don't have time for TikTok. And I felt exactly the same way, except last week I posted a TikTok video that's gone viral. I recreated the zucchini pasta that Stanley Tucci ate on his CNN show, and now it has almost 830,000 likes. So now I love TikTok, and I give a lot of credit to my guest this week, Chef John Kung, who came on and gave me lots of advice. Uh, John has 1.6 million TikTok followers and almost 30 million likes for his videos. If I had that many likes, I'd probably quit therapy. Uh, but a bunch. Today's talk, we talk all about how he became TikTok famous how he makes his videos, and why and how he uses his exposure for good. So without further ado, here is my talk with Chef John Kung. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for doing my podcast. I have just watched like a thousand of your videos and I'm a huge (laughs) fan. So it's really an honor to have you here. Um, Have you done a lot of podcasts before? Um, I mean, more and more. Uh, Then again, like, you know, I've only been a content creator for like, I guess technically three years, so I haven't really done a lot of podcasts, but I am actually in the process of like kind of conceptualizing one for myself, Um, Mm -hmm. but we're still in the preliminary stages of that. Well, your voice is so like perfect for a podcast because I feel like your voice is such a huge part of your videos too. It's very like soothing. Thank you. Yeah, I've been told that. I've been told that uh, people do too like to listen to hear uh, listen to hear me speak, um, which is funny because when I first started doing this, um, when I first started doing videos, I like probably for a couple of months into making TikToks, I refused. I refuse to speak at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I only use like texts and that voice or text to voice robot thing um, because I just, I personally don't really like <laughs> the sound of my yeah. voice. But I hate you know. the sound of my voice. When I listen to these podcasts back, it's like nails on a chalk- chalkboard. It's embarrassing because I just hate right. how it sounds. So I get that. 100%. So people say like, oh, I love how you sound. I was like, well, you should hear what I hear because it sounds so much better. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, I mean, so about my podcast, I kind of choose a theme every week. And with yours, I think inevitably I want to talk to you about becoming food famous on TikTok, which, you know, sure. is um, I just started tiptoeing into TikTok. You know, I feel like I'm a little old for it. Um, but I'm starting to really enjoy it. And I think what I'm learning from your videos is that it seems like you're making them as much for yourself as you are for mm-hmm. other people that it, se- it seems I hate to use this word because I know you don't like it but they seem very authentic uh, <laughs> I, ju- I just watched a video where you said you don't like that word about food but I think it's okay to apply it towards videos to people um, yeah, yeah 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 and I think um, I guess as a starting point like what led you to start making these videos uh, well, it was purely a use of function during the pandemic um, before. I don't know if you can hear that, but there are people drag racing outside my house. I apologize. <laughs> I thought um, it was a train. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. So, you know, I, when the pandemic started, I was running. Well, before the pandemic, I was running a kind of secret underground restaurant dining room type situation. And when that ended because of the pandemic obviously i wasn't going to continue running an illegal restaurant during 
uh, quarantine like you know imagine if i the trouble that i would get into um so i started just using my phone to do these really super simple again unvoiced tutorials on what to do how to stretch out a can of beans how to turn everything into your fridge into a frittata kind of like survival food um because you know we didn't know what our situation was going to be and what we would need to know so people were very interested in learning how to cook for themselves because we were all stuck inside and yeah that was just basically what i was working with um that took off once things started to calm down a little bit i started getting like as creative with my videos as i was normally getting with my dinners um Mm -hmm. and that in itself took off so i tackled a bunch of different topics over the course of the years over the course of the three years first one was being like survival and basic kitchen skills and then the second one was like expressions of food through anime and art and film and then finally like this latest kind of iteration of like what i've been doing through my videos is kind of like taking expressing self and identity through your food mm-hmm. through the creation of like different recipes and through the mashups of traditional dishes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I guess yeah. my first question about all that was like, were you a TikTok fan before you started? Were you watching a lot of uh, TikTok videos? Oh, I was. See, I, I don't know how you old you are when you say you're. I'm, you for, I'm 43, so. Okay, well, I'm I'm 38, so okay. I'm not that far. Right, off. We're not that. So I'm definitely yeah, not like, too far. yeah, we're not that far off. I'm definitely closer okay. to your age than to you in age than I am to most people on TikTok. Um, And so I was probably on TikTok just like scrolling through kind of like as a replacement for Vine. I was very into watching Vine back in the day. Oh, yeah, Vine. Um, I forgot about that. Vine, I truly forgot about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I saw that as kind of like the replacement of Vine where it's like you wake up at four o'clock in the morning. You can't go back to bed and you just want to scroll mindlessly through something. And back then, Mm -hmm. TikTok for me anyways was just like really interesting cosplay costumes mixed with some humor and it was just starting to get political i was probably on tiktok probably like maybe a year before the pandemic so it was still pretty new into tiktok um i would probably open up the app maybe once every week once every couple weeks understanding that there was something here and that there was something that was worth paying attention to and sticking with, but not really quite knowing where I fit in yet because it was so outrageously young. It felt the community and the community was so very small. It kind of felt like Tumblr did when Tumblr just first came out, when you needed like a special invite to, to go into Tumblr. I don't know if you ever needed that, but. <laughs> back then like it was just like a small little community and so you know i wasn't an active part of that community but i was like i could see that something special was happening and when we when tiktok finally like exploded i was just already there and comfortable enough with how they communicated and i just like did my best to just express myself through that through that means of communication and things took off um in no way that i would have ever expected i was a 
uh, I was like a, an actual industry cook for like 12 or 13 years up to that point. So I had really very little experience on social media as a person of social as a person on social media with any kind of influence whatsoever. In fact, mm -hmm. because my kitchen and my dining room was by like unsanctioned, completely unsanctioned, I spent most of my time trying to keep myself a secret. So <laughs> right. I just yeah, I think I read completely about flipped. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. So does it feel good to be in the limelight or do you miss your anonymity? Jury's mm, still out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it's, it's very inspiring. I, one thing that really occurs to me about your videos is like as somebody who's trying to get into TikTok food videos, there really seems to be a set formula for most of them. It's a, like an overhead mm -hmm. shot. It's like a, a voice saying, add the, you know, add the shallots, add the olive oil, add the garlic. You know, it's like very instructive, very useful. Mm -hmm. With yours, the, the form of the videos has its own language, its own way of um, telling a story you know it's, it's like I feel like the visuals are you preparing food but then often the voiceover might not have anything to do specifically with what we're watching but something like a larger theme and so yeah. I guess how did you hit upon that idea of sort of bringing in like your own poetic and thoughtful way of speaking about the stuff into the videos it it happened without me really realizing what was <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing uh, by doing that. I think the reason why I started doing voiceovers like that was because I was so terrible with syncing up my voice and the instructions with what I was doing on screen. Mm -hmm. Because as it turns out, that is very difficult to do, especially if you've never really done any kind of video work or video editing work before. And we were only like, you know, I was limited to my phone with bad microphones and everything. So... I think ultimately me using video as like a medium for food and then as like a vehicle for whatever it is I had on my mind was just me working with like my lack of skills as a video editor. But things got a little more sophisticated um, as we got by and I think I just started becoming more known for that another creator Joanne the Korean vegan does a very similar thing where she her her videos follow like a very strong narrative aspect she does a much better job with tying it back into what she's doing on screen mm -hmm. um but I think we both have that similar style of like you know uh, prioritizing like the storytelling uh, I was actually thinking about that earlier today, kind of like trying to understand why it is that format, this like narrative over food kind of resonates. And I kind of like liken it to almost having a conversation at the dinner table or having a conversation mm -hmm. with somebody while you're preparing food. Uh, the way my studio was set up was I would have my doors open and people were, were like welcome to come in as I was preparing the meals for like the dinner that was about to take place and oftentimes people would sit at the counter and we would just mm. talk about all sorts of things like you know what I was making to politics of the city through, through our opinions of gentrification and stuff and it would always it would all be happening while I was like preparing the squab or the roast beef or the potatoes or the rice or something like that. So like, I think it just felt like a very natural way to communicate, to talk to people and to talk about these things over 
kind of like framed by food in some kind of way. And I think that's just a natural setting for human communication. Yeah, I mean, I've always believed that context is what makes a dish or any recipe feel special. It's like if you see a recipe just in and of itself on a piece of paper, it means nothing. But if you're like, this recipe was handed down from my grandmother, you know, from her mother. And it's like, as soon as you give it context, I feel like it takes on so much more meaning. So I think what you're doing in your videos is just giving this food context and it makes it so much more human and personable um, and it's funny because I used to be a food blogger and there was so much I'm sure you're aware of like all these tweets about people wanting to skip to the recipe just like skip to recipe skip to re people don't like all the paragraphs of text <laughs> that we but to me it's like well without the that text it's like what's what's the point and then what's you the just point? go on right with exactly all recipes and so I totally get what you're doing so what was the first video that you did that took off do you remember specifically or was it just a gradual kind of thing um, I think it might have been, I think it might have been about soup. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we were, we were, it was getting to be wintertime and I was like, you know, one of the things that I specialized in was like making all sorts of different kind of broths out of all sorts of different things. Um, and just like making broths for the specific, like just to be drunk on their own and stuff so that was something that I was known for here in the city so that was something I was kind of ramping up for on my TikToks and I kind of like you know in TikToks where everybody has well it used to be a lot more uh, prevalent was different parts of TikTok that exists whether it be like I, I don't know I, I can't even like think about it I can't even like think of any anymore, but there used to be segments of TikTok that was really just like the algorithm putting you in a place. But mm -hmm. I, I called my little part of um, TikTok like soup talk and that just, <laughs> and people found like that initial video so comforting. And I think like that voiceover, like I was still doing the like, back then I was, I was still like doing the most when it came, I had like a bad microphone, but I had it like right up to my face and I was like doing a <laughs> right. super like sultry whisper and like people <laughs> just really liked it. So, um, I kept going, but I think that was the first one for me. Maybe that was the first one I had hit a million views. I'm not sure. Wow. Um, okay. I just had my first 180,000 view video. That was very okay. exciting. Because most, most of my videos are like, you know, 300, 400 views. And then I made pasta a la Norma with eggplant. And for some reason, that just I like, think I, I saw that one. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, you <laughs> yeah, did? Yeah. And it's I like, think I why saw did, that I, I, I was like, how did this happen? Like, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It, it was just, just like, happened. I guess it was. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's funny, because I feel like what you're doing is like, so it feels very edgy and exciting. But at the same time, it's like sort of where the culture is now. It's where oh, I know what I was gonna say. It's like funny with the algorithm as you were talking about the algorithm, because my algorithm is literally like food videos, guys taking their shirts off. And then Karen's flipping out. It's like literally like Karen's. Yeah. I'm like, where does the algorithm come up with this stuff? But anyway, I, well, like, yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing to like when I when I see like a Karen video like that, I'm always like, I, I've got such a critical eye because like at this point, I kind of expect everything to be staged. I'm so jaded yes. when it comes to these Karen oh, videos. Yeah. So I'm just like watching like reactions to see like is any acting going on because I really I only just care watched if this one. Is genuine. Yeah. <laughs> Was, um, do you watch Shark Tank? Uh, Lori Grenier from Shark Tank 
for some <laughs> reason the algorithm popped up that that a Karen came out of the, her car and yelled at her and it, it looks so staged like I literally think she hired an actress to do this um, but I was going to ask you about Detroit so can you talk a little, little bit about your relationship to the city and then how your TikTok fame has manifested itself in the real world and the people come up to you outside and yeah sure um, so <laughs> Detroit it's a very very special city to me I came to Detroit in 2007 um, during the, like the height of height of the recession like uh, there were very little talks of any kind of gentrification of, of any kind um, or anyone moving into the city at that point there were no new businesses coming in in fact I think the first new wave cafe i saw it didn't start didn't come in until like two years after i moved literally mm. like i was i had moved downtown and there was so few people there that i was bartending and i would come home at like four o'clock in the morning and i'd be like you know drunk i'd came out to i'd let my dog out and we'd like lie down in the middle of woodward the first paved road in america just at night and there would be no cars and there would be no people and i would just like do that sometimes just up because of the absurdity of it all mm -hmm. um so that was when that was happening but detroit as a setting for me creatively allowed me the time and the city itself was patient with me enough that I was able to grow my skill set and my craft to like be something that I feel like does hold its own anywhere else mm -hmm. now as a cook. If I tried doing the things that I did in Detroit, say like in New York or in Los Angeles, I would have probably been like eaten up, eaten alive and spat right back <laughs> out um, for trying these like pop-ups and these experimentations of uh dinners that i did but i think because detroit was like very literally hungry for this type of for just something different that you know i was able to stumble through but still be supported enough that it would you know i would be supported onto the next pop-up or I'd be supported onto the next thing and then finally like you know i so when i say like i owe everything that I have creatively to this city. Like, I absolutely mean it. That is, that is not an exaggeration. So that's why that's I have really cool. very strong yeah. feelings for this place. It gave you the safe space you needed to, to find yourself. It sounds like, um, it totally did. And I, and I'm curious, like how, how has doing these TikTok videos informed your cuisine? Like as a chef? Um, if anything, I, it has really just simplified my process. What I do for TikTok versus what I would do as a professional are not the same. Um, I used to try to be very showy and be kind of like show off what my skills are. Like, oh, look what I can do with food. This is like, look how artsy this is. Look how pretty the plating is. But, you know, I find that food like that has to be experienced in order to be impressive otherwise it's just like artistic plating good for you so what like <laughs> so i really shifted focus from doing that um to like uh to being able to trying to teach more to taking a role of trying to like imparting skills or trying to make people think differently about their own traditional meals and how they would express themselves it's that that has become something that was a, that is a lot more fulfilling than just kind of mm -hmm. like showing off some pretty plating on video. Right. 
to a bunch of people that can't taste it anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm curious, like, how has your audience on TikTok, like, do you, I mean, do you read the comments, as they say? I mean, have they influenced you at all, like, people's reactions to your videos? <clears throat> I have, uh, <laughs> I have the, the greatest fortune of being very, of having very strong ADHD. And so, like, <laughs> I will read through the comments. I will consider those comments for the time that I am reading them. And once I close the app, I pretty much have forgotten right. everything that I read. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do That's it. Good. I read the comments at all. Like, I, I read the comments at all out of habit, out of, like, a lack of self-control. But mm -hmm. thankfully enough, like, I don't really carry any of those comments with me. Um, especially right. on TikTok. TikTok has gotten a lot better. Um, uh, the the culture of TikTok is that people, I think in the comments, and in my experience, um, are a little more well-behaved because we're able to very easily respond to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, like, earlier on, there was this little bit of this clapback culture that was very inherent to TikTok that people really enjoyed right. watching, um, which I don't really do anymore. But... You don't have those options on like the other platforms such as shorts or reels or anything like that that's very mm -hmm. specific to tiktok and i think that made people on the comment section a little more respect respectful at least again to me i i can only mm -hmm. speak for myself yeah my comments have been pretty respectful i mean i take away like little tweaks like somebody said the music was too loud in one of my videos mm -hmm. so i was like okay like i'll Actually, lower I got, the music I, had, you know? I got that comment last week <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah, yeah and yeah. that's helpful like sometimes to be able to like be like okay that's a reasonable complaint like you know yeah if somebody says like you're ugly you get new glasses it's like okay that's not going to help me so um so yeah i try to like read through and make sure the comments that i'm listening to are helpful so i guess for people who don't know your story um and background like i read a lot about you online but maybe we can go into like where you grew up and and how you grew up with cooking and food and wh where like basically where were you between growing up in detroit fill in the gap sure um so i spent most of my childhood going back and forth between hong kong and toronto up until like 16 okay. years of age uh so unlike most unlike a lot of third culture kids i had a very strong route that extended all the way back to china mm -hmm. um and so my grandparents, for example, lived there. And whenever I went back to see them in summer times for as many like weeks or months as I did, you know, Sunday dinners would be at grandparents' house in, in Hong Kong. And so I had a lot of immersion still in what good Cantonese food was. And that probably informed so much of my like sense memory when I it came time to like learn how to cook everything uh once i you know after toronto and hong kong i had settled into michigan for school and i just stayed i've been here since 2002 and then i moved to detroit in 2007 and that's when i started cooking and i really started cooking as kind of um First of all, because there was no Chinese restaurants here and I missed Chinese really? food. So out of necessity, I, I again, I cooked. Uh, I learned how to cook all these dishes just so I could have something, just so I had some good Chinese food. Mm -hmm. And that turned into kind of like an exploration into my culture because even though, you know, I had a lot of immersion, my grasp of the language is not very, is not at all 
any kind of any, any kind of good and um and you know it, it, it was very isolating here at the time so anything that kind of reminded me of, of back home I, I would do and the easiest way for me to do that was learn how to how to cook the food um and that was probably when I crossed over, like around that time I was when I crossed over from being like a home cook into like a professional one when I decided to just like serve these dishes out to the greater public in Detroit. That's cool. And, and how would you say that the like cooking Cantonese food from having grown up in Hong Kong and back and forth differs from the American Chinese food that so many people are familiar with? Like, did, did you have people coming up to you asking for general sauce chicken or like, you know, what, luckily what were you for making? me, yeah. there were no real expectations um, in that sense. Uh, back then, I mean, I was obsessed with authenticity, just as anybody mm -hmm. else was. They, we all fell into that trap. But I think because there was so there were so few options back there and like you know because there's such a strong stigma on American Chinese food um nobody would ever ask un with the assumption that that would have been probably offensive to ask me so I, that was never something that I had come across and I can only assume that was the reason why I'd never come, come across that stuff but yeah, but the funny thing is like, you know, I was some of the first things I would cook, um, you know, whether it be like the Hong Kong egg waffles and, and I would always put like a local spin on it. So I was doing like Hong Kong egg waffles and karage as a chicken and waffles dish for many, many years. And I guess it, that's where like it kind of informed my concept of what n a new American Chinese food could be. And that, mm -hmm. like, it, it is actually, I'm, I'm writing a book that's pretty much based on that what if. Yeah, I love that. Because living in L.A., I mean, we have the San Gabriel Valley where there's a, a mm -hmm. huge Chinese community. And the food that I ate there was revelatory for me because I grew up in New York. With, I mean, New York has great Chinese food, too. But I grew up in a Jewish family where we ate the sort of American-style Chinese food. Um, San Gabriel Valley. Christmas. That's where Henry's cuisine is, right? I think so. I've never been there, but it's very possible. And there's a lot, you know, there's Chengdu Taste. There's um, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, Sichuan restaurants there. But it's Wonderful. Kind of a huge go to, I think yeah. I'm almost certain Henry's Cuisine is in San Gabriel Valley. You must go there and okay. have a lobster. It's so good. I will. I will do that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you make it sound a little like, like for me as somebody who loves to cook, the idea of opening a restaurant or serving food to people for money sounds terrifying. So when you did this, was it, um, were you, did you like, was it a brick and mortar place that you like rented? Where, I mean, was it a restaurant? Was it a pop-up? No, it was, they were, they were all pop-ups. I was strictly doing pop-ups for the, for quite a few years, which is exhausting. <laughs> um, yes, but I was cooking in pop-ups for myself and I was cooking in pop-ups for other chefs in the area at the time. It was such an interesting time in Detroit when like there was going to be, there was a pretty big influx of incoming restaurants, but the restaurants hadn't been built yet, but the chefs were already here. So okay. we were pop doing pop-ups all over the place and I would, pardon me, I would work for like every single one of them in some capacity, whether it be plating, whether it be prep or something, because it was also like a hard place to find anyone with any kind of skills. Um, mm -hmm. in cooking and so you know I latched on and they latched on to me and we all became really really close-knit friends and even like worked at some of their restaurants um, 
after they had opened. So yeah, it, it was a very interesting time. We were doing pop-ups in like, a, you know, abandoned homes and empty storefronts and museums. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it was again, a very interesting and a lot of fun time. Probably slightly reckless, very reckless. <laughs> it was very reckless. Did you bring um, hot plates with you? I mean, like, how did you cook in these places? Did you just have? Uh, you know, I learned really quickly that you know most of the times you all you have to scout your locations first and make sure they have everything that they say they have. A lot of times people will say like, "Oh, we have a sink. Um, it's like a spigot <laughs> on the side of right. the, the building." And, you know, we'd be thankful there would be clean running water at all because, like, sometimes it would all just be, like, bottles and buckets that we had to collect. Um, not very sanitary at all. Luckily, everyone, no. everything is fine. But, <laughs> yeah, um, it, would, it would be a very, you know, a dependent situation. I personally only popped up in places that had established constructions fully constructed buildings but whenever i worked for other people they might be a little less lax in their requirements i just needed a place where i could plug in my induction stoves i've been um a cheerleader for induction well since like 2008 2009 just simply because like they were the things that i could bring anywhere all i needed was electricity uh and i could yeah and you use them in some of your videos, right? When you want to face the mm -hmm. camera, I noticed like that sometimes the burners, like your actual stove, is behind you, but you're using an induction stove. Yep, and that's which, so I mean, convenient. Yeah. It's so easy it's to great. do that way. Well, that that leads to my next series of questions. So I'm married to a filmmaker, and he's a director, mm -hmm. and he went to film school, and so he's all about like getting the right shot. I have no patience for any of that, so that's why TikTok is a struggle. But with your videos. There's such great cinematography and there's so much thought that goes into how things are looking. So I'm curious, like, yeah, where did that come from and how long did it take you to figure all that out? I would say for me, to, f it probably took a year. It took the year of quarantine was where I taught myself how to do all of this stuff. Like at first it started with, with just my phone and then I got my first major partnership um, and in, the, in my mind, I was like, well, you know, wherever this goes, if all I get out of this deal is a new, a shiny new camera and a shiny new computer, then, you know, I made out. That would be great. That's really all I need. So, like, you know, I'm half investing into myself, but also half in, half like just buying a toy that I would never have had if I didn't start making TikToks for money. Um, I'm really glad I did that because, you know, that wasn't <laughs> the only <laughs> partnership and brand deal I got. But over the course of that year, I got to keep practicing and keep adjusting. I still don't really know how to use my camera to the fullest extent what kind of, of its powers. It's a Fujifilm. It's a Fujifilm X-T4. It's it's amazing at both fo it's photos and video and like you know just uh, critically just loved for its ability in in video um i also really like it because it's very retro looking it's got that silver and black body i'm writing that, it down because like, i'm sure yeah. I, yeah i'm gonna totally I, check I this out but the way it looks too expensive yeah okay um but you know if that's the camera that i got uh 
from that one brand deal, then so be it. But luckily enough, that thing has held me up through the past few years. And right. over time, I've built up, I've built up like better computers, lighting equipment. Like it's been crazy how much it, my setup has grown and my studio space has grown. Um, but luckily not, not so fast that I don't really know what I'm doing anymore with them. I like, I haven't, I understand the importance of practical lighting and, and, and sound and all of that and how it just all distills down ultimately into a person's experience on the phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like, are you alone when you make your videos or do you have people helping mm -hmm. you? I'm I'm pretty yeah I'm completely alone except except for my dog. Um, <laughs> my dog is oftentimes she's like right down there. They're sleeping. Oh, that's so uh, my dog is under so, under the chair over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's oftentimes with me, and she's the only person that's in the room. I will film by myself. I cook everything on my own. Uh, I have to set up the cameras. Luckily, working at restaurants, you're used to working very fast and giving yourself a little bit of like, a little bit of of time in between stuff. So like, I can you know do things really fast, turn the heat down, have an understanding of how the heat will react over the time. So to I can like this many seconds to like change my camera, get the shot, and then like you know mm -hmm. keep going. I'm very efficient in that way. But it is getting to the point, especially now that I'm moving on to YouTube, where the videos are 10 minutes long, um, that I am going to probably have to seek out like a team and some external help pretty soon. I actually just I'm going unloaded. To. Yeah, I actually just unloaded my first batch of footage to an editor. And we're going to see how that works out. I hope it does. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm going in the total opposite direction. I just worked with a friend on a bunch of YouTube videos, and they were so much work. And now doing TikTok, it's like, oh, I can just like hold my camera over the stove and get some footage and cut it all together. So it is, fun. it is interesting. Like, <laughs> they both have, they both require different things. Um, but I guess like in terms of like getting into the nitty gritty of your process, are you, when you do your shots and things, are you um, looking at yourself? Like, is it is the camera mm. in reverse, or are you just sort of setting it There's up? There's a little and, like and uh, the screen does flip out on the okay. Fujifilm and I'm trying not to look at that screen very much because you can tell you can totally see like my eyes off to the side and I'm not looking down the barrel of the camera right. uh, so I'm trying not to do it as much I use it mostly for f uh, framing mm -hmm. kind of make sure I'm in the shot in the middle of the shot and it's gotten to the point now where I use that camera and I film kind of both in landscape and portrait at the same time so cool. in a lot of those I'm filming both a TikTok and a YouTube video within that one shot got it so you're like a, a one-man Marvel you know industrial complex like you're doing you're doing so much uh, I would, but I guess yeah <laughs> I'm in terms of like when you think about doing a video, let's say like you're going to do a new one today or tomorrow, I mean, wh what is your starting point? Like, do you write down, okay, like I'm going to do this recipe and this is the theme I'm going to talk about and this is, these are the shots that I need. I mean, do you plan it all ahead of time or is it more spontaneous? So before it used to be very spontaneous where I just like be like, okay, we're, I have these ingredients, we're turning on the camera, I guess I'm going to make this today. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, that's proved to be wildly inefficient and that was fine for TikTok, <laughs> but not for YouTube. I would 
go absolutely crazy if that was like my process for YouTube. Uh, the way that the schedule works now, and I've done this over like three, I guess, let's say like three batches. Um, I would pretty much spend three to five days and nights at my studio filming nonstop and just getting this raw footage onto a hard drive and then I will edit later. That way I could get all my filming done and then like edit so that I can maintain like a weekly posting schedule as you know easily and reasonably easy as I can. Um, so I will essentially film at least this past one it took about five days but I think I have like two months um, of footage and material wow. to go off of and the rest will be much easier and much spread out over time but uh, I found that you know when I kind of like write down my schedule and the list of videos and list of food that I want to like cook or dishes mm -hmm. that I want to cook I just started like I, I just started um, structuring them the same way that I structured my pop-up menus and so mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, I'll just do this one. Now I would need these ingredients for them. I do the shop, all the shopping on one day and we just cook for the next couple of days. It's the exact same way that I used to prepare for my pop-up dinners um, because I would do all the prep for those by myself too. And this is much easier in comparison to that because I would have to do it for like 10, 10 courses for 16 people in one evening. So... This is a lot less work in that sense, but the editing is still pretty arduous. That sounds like a lot of editing, but yeah. in terms of like getting the shots, do you have like a certain um, approach each time? Like you get the wide shot of you like from a distance and then do you get close-ups and when you're getting the close-ups, are you recooking the things that we just saw you do in the wide shot? Like how, how does so that all work? The wide shot, I like to use a wide shot as a setting for space, but I like to keep things moving as much as I can because people's attention spans are short, whether it be on YouTube or TikTok. So mm -hmm. a lot of movement, a lot of switching in between places. Um, I also am very against food waste. So like I, I do have the timing down. So like if you see me cooking something in the wide shot and then suddenly I'm cooking it in the in the in the close-up like i'm just being really fast and like running from behind the counter bringing the camera okay. over there and then like getting back in there uh, uh -huh. so you know wasting very little food and very little time as much as possible that's that's great i mean yeah it's funny because like i've, I've realized that i need to start making more tiktok videos if i'm gonna have any success on there but it's but i'm just alone right now because my husband's in new york editing so it's <laughs> like i don't want to waste food i mean how much can i cook for one person so i mean do you find you're, you're giving a lot of food away or do you eat everything uh, no well make? my boyfriend's here we both are big boys and we eat a lot of food and at one point in time i was like my best friend was also living with us so i was cooking for three full-grown men in a house and there was no shortage of people here to eat food now now it's now we have food that like these batch film sessions will hold us over for like maybe a week it's like meal okay. prepping at this point because you're still just you're, one dish at the end of the day and you're eating it i mean so oh the, we are this, definitely none of it's it. going to, yeah, i love that <laughs> but i guess i guess that like leads to the question which i did, forgot to ask which is how much did the pandemic um, and quarantine play into this journey that you went on? Because it seems like 
you were doing these pop-up dinners and then the TikTok thing happened. But was that a result of having to quarantine? Yeah, yeah. None of this would have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. It's such a weird thing to know exactly like which event caused this complete shift in your life and like talking about it and like you know it's weird to talk about it too positively because ultimately right, this was a very terrible thing that happened and it's almost like you feel a little bit of survivor's guilt to have thrived in any kind of way but the fact of the matter is I did. And a lot of other people on TikTok, there's a whole class of creators now that would have never happened. And we all came from all walks of life, whether it be like line mm -hmm. cooks or lawyers or artists, or one of them was like a wedding planner's assistant. Um, none of us would have probably done anything different or would have been anything other than who we were back then if it wasn't for the pandemic. Wow. And so when the pandemic started, was it were you, was that the period when you were living with your boyfriend and a best friend? Like, were you all three mm -hmm. together? Yep. Okay, we were all three living and together. And when you talk about the studio, so is that a new thing that you created a studio to make your TikToks? Or no, were, the were studio was a space where I uh, where I served my private dinners. So that secret I kitchen, see. we called it a studio because it was it is literally a studio apartment that we turned into a giant dining room. Got it. So you go there to make your videos now. And now, now it's literally a, like a studio that we film in. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So I, I'm curious of all the videos you've done, which which are the most popular and which ones are you most proud of? Mm, my most popular one has to be the it wasn't even a high production thing. It was filmed on my phone and I was talking about how eating a bowl of noodles has the same like nutritional value as some of those like healthy salad wraps that you would have at like your your smoothie shops or whatever mm -hmm. and talking about like how like and of course you know when I, I use the word decolonized at the end and that apparently is a huge trigger word for a lot of people and so there was a lot of rage built behind it because I think what happened was people were agreeing with me right up till the end where I was like okay well now this is just how we decolonize our mindset and what what means to be healthy and how ethnic food can also be healthy and nutritious mm -hmm. but you know um, it got on the wrong side of TikTok and there was a lot of rage behind some of the comments, but at the same time, like engagement is engagement. TikTok doesn't know yeah. the difference between a friendly comment and an unfriendly one. <laughs> so it just kept snowballing. And I think this up to this, I think it might have like 15 million views up to this point. Oh my and God. That's yeah, crazy. It, has, it had similar success on YouTube as well in this most wow. oddly similar way. Um, so that was probably my most successful video. And I do do a lot of videos like that touch on topics of nutrition and how mm -hmm. ethnic on our traditional ethnic foods can fall into that line of of like what can be nutritious. Um, mm -hmm. And well, I'm sorry, what was the second part of the question? Oh, which video are you proudest of? Oh, which video am I proudest of? It's always probably going to be like the very last video that I did because once mm -hmm. that video was like three videos deep, it becomes a little embarrassing. <laughs> right. That's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, well, fit, fitness is interesting to bring up as a topic because I think when, one thing we've left out in terms of your TikTok success is that sometimes you're kind of shirtless, sometimes mm -hmm. you're wearing, like, having your muscles showing up. I mean, this is something I can't really pull off until I, like, start going to the gym again. But um, how, how, how much of, um, how can I put this, like, your own sex appeal are you conscious of utilizing in your videos or is that is that something that's it was a little bit more in the beginning um i think <laughs> i was a little bit more like fine with it it's not that i'm not fine with it now it's just that like you know it's like oh okay this uh you know what a boring way to try to attract attention now i don't know why i think of it that way but wow. i do uh, you got it you got to flaunt yeah, it you, I mean, you work hard I for that body yeah. yeah well i will say that my gym membership is now on the business credit card so <laughs> okay good yeah you can write that yeah, off exactly sure. it's a write-off um so yeah i i think at the beginning when we were all stuck inside and we were all a little loopy and we didn't really have, you know, we didn't really put faces behind all of the comments and the people behind the screen, on the other side of the screen, I should say. Um, it was easy for me to just like be like every other thirsty gay and post like a little shirtless, <laughs> you know, video. Cause like, what difference is that than like a shirtless Instagram story and what, sure. or a shirtless, um, Instagram post. Um, and like, not that there's anything wrong with it, but you know, I, I, it's as my topics got more and more serious, it just became less appropriate to, I feel like be half naked when you're talking about like <laughs> when you're, when you, when you're like touching on topics of like identity and self-expression right. and like, you know, facing adversity and like racism and misogyny, it was like, oh, I can't think, I think I should keep my shirt on for this. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but, it, but yeah. it, it does make sense with what you were talking about earlier in terms of the, your most popular video in terms of quote unquote ethnic food be not necessarily being bad for you because by showing off your body, you're sort of saying, look at this food that I make. Oh, and 100%. Like the yeah. new, these, this body is made by noodles and dumplings eaten sparingly, <laughs> but enjoyed thoroughly. Like I, this, you know, I might not be like ripped super bodybuilder, but like, you know, I feel like I'm pretty good enough. And you're doing okay. The fact yeah. that I can enjoy like a bowl of dumplings literally almost whenever i want within reason um i think it just shows that you know still down dumplings are simply just carbs fat and protein just like anything else and that mm -hmm. those have a place in in how your body needs to you uh, needs to function so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so will you be my personal trainer is my next question because uh, I need someone to do this. There are, so, there are so many really good and qualified new trainers and nutritionalists that <laughs> I do kidding. follow on TikTok. <laughs> I could never. Yeah. I'd be I, just, so... I just need a trainer who like loves food. I mean, that's the thing is like, I mean, living in LA, it's like, I have people over for dinner and they're like, oh, I'm not eating dessert right now. And I'm like, excuse me, How I just spent you? three hours <laughs> making this cake, you know. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, I think living in Detroit, you're probably away from that, like, yeah, it's super so, body conscious culture. I'm in, well, I'm in Los Angeles a lot. In fact, I'll probably, I'm, am I there next week? Yes, I'm there on the oh, 29th cool. and I'll be there for two weeks. And the friends that I have there have no problem eating. So, Good. yeah. I, I, I don't I don't find that a lot. I mean, I know the culture is there and, you right. know, the health food stuff. And even it's funny because, like, I look at these 
healthy and wellness i guess gravitated foods and menus and stuff and they're, they're not actually all that healthy oh yeah uh, i mean they, i drink they, a smoothie just, at the gym every week and it's like right, I don't even and know it's, what like, it's like it's like protein it's, powder it, yeah. it's sugar <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I know, as long as I you're know. going yeah. yeah if anything you should all, yeah this whole habit of drinking your smoothies after you work out never made sense to me because they're just full of sugar and fiber so like wouldn't you be more serve better serve to drink it before your workout so you can just like work that sugar off you're ruining everything you can't be my trainer anymore because (laughs) i i I like the smoothie because it um it cools me down because i'm like so hot from running then it's like oh "Oh, yeah this nice cold smoothie to drink down and i I tell myself it's good for me yeah when i go when i have like runs and stuff like i i you know i'll do like a juice now beforehand but because your body needs to replenish those carbs and stuff i have like a bowl of cold noodles or a bowl of cold Mm. dumplings which actually if you've been running all outside in the summer is pretty damn good waiting for me in the fridge when i get home just so i could like scarf all that food down that sounds delicious that sounds like the best training program i could ever come up with so (laughs) i'm gonna try it um well in terms we're almost done with this interview this really flew by um i'm curious like in terms of um bringing your personal life into it because you just mentioned your boyfriend Mm -hmm. and your roommate like i mean i think i I googled you beforehand to learn a little little about you and it's like you know i think uh chef john kung is gay or like people were kind of Mm -hmm. conjecturing but i mean was that something that you thought a lot about putting on your TikTok, like how much of your personal life you were going to put on, onto it? It was never anything like, I guess, you know, except certainly my sexuality was never anything that I was scared or like afraid to show off. I had done like multiple pride uh, themed videos for uh, It Gets Better Canada, I think was the latest mm-hmm. one that I did. Um, and I also, you know, helped... Uh, tiktok announced their pronouns feature uh so yeah it it was so none of that really was ever an issue for me um that being said like when it comes to like my personal life my dating life like my boyfriend has been in some of my videos but he's never really around when i film because he works here from home Uh and i work at the studio so like you know he's not really there um Uh but yeah no he's it's not anything that I'm shying away from. I'm just like very um, intentionally not trying to be like couples content or boyfriend content, I guess, because there is a, there is definitely a place for that, but like, that's not really what my focus is on. It's funny. I started dating Craig, my partner uh, 16 years ago, and that's when I had my food blog and, um, Oh, thank you. And, um, And with my food blog, like I'd never talked about being gay ever. Um, and then I went to, we actually got soup dumplings in Chinatown uh, on one of our dates and I took pictures and I was like, oh, this is my boyfriend, Craig. And this is us. And all the comments were like, thank God, we thought you were gay. Oh my goodness, thank you for coming out. Oh, it's that. I was like, I, that wasn't my intention, but it was like, it was like all people want to know is like, what's going on? Like, who are you dating? So it's, it is funny how that works. I think it is important that it is that like regardless of how it is that you live you don't I mean like to do it as fearlessly as you can because I do get comments from a lot of people in real life like people would start have started coming up to me and like thanking me for like expressing myself in a way that makes them feel proud to be who they are whether it be like 
a gay Asian person or just or just yesterday was just like this 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 young Asian lady who was just like thanking me to talk about like you know these issues of identity that I guess most people don't really consider very much on the internet Mm -hmm. or as not as much as you know they may now so yeah it's it feel it feels good and it makes me very proud and of my decisions on how I decided to present myself here but again it's not what encompasses my content it's just like how we present ourselves with authenticity yeah, and I think it's like a nice sideways way for people who might be closeted or who might be afraid to tap into who they are. It's like, well, I'm watching a food video. I'm not watching like a coming out video, but right. it can inspire. So, um, well, as a final question, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I really I've had, have you had I've had people tell me that like you know my the my the uh, me dealing with topics of identity through food have like have inspired some people to have come out to their parents and stuff. And I was like, wow. I love that. I'm so That's, glad they've all gone well, <laughs> over well, because... Yeah, yeah you don't want the responsibility. Yeah. Right. Um, well, as a final final question, I guess I'm curious, like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I mean, do you want TikTok to, like, be a pathway to something else? Do you see yourself still doing TikTok um, and YouTube? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it's hard to say because everything happens so fast. And if things happen really quickly, I feel like they can all go away really quickly. I mean, who's mm-hmm. to say with a place as you know fresh and now and instantaneous as tiktok who's to say that you're not replaced with the exact same amount of speed and quickness so um as i said before i'm working on writing a book which should be coming out next year in september we're hoping that's so cool congratulations Um, by the way that's very exciting what's the book called uh we don't have a working title for it yet but you know it's gonna it's dealing with third culture chinese food um, right, and so no, I am exploring other avenues. YouTube, just by nature of the fact that it's been here for as long as it has, has much more permanence and stability. Um, not to not saying that TikTok is like an unsafe place to be a creator, but like you know, each place has their strengths and their weaknesses, and um, you know, is you have to. I think it is every job it's the job of every creator to just like recognize and to take advantage of each each thing to their fullest extent but i think what i'm really asking is um in terms of your skill sets now that you have these wonderful skills as a filmmaker basically and storyteller visually um and also potentially i mean you're going to be writing a book and you're maybe Mm. doing a podcast do you prefer that to being a chef or is it all of a piece um, I feel like, I mean, I have so much more to learn when it comes to how to make content and hopefully maybe later in life, how to make film or mm-hmm. more go down that traditional media route. Um, I'll always have my cooking and I hope that a restaurant and like a open to the public studio kitchen that is legal, uh, is in the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but who's to say at this point it's it's so everything is moving so quickly 
<laughs> I have a lot of confidence in you. I feel like in 10 years, you're going to be like Ina Garten or somebody <laughs> like where it's like you're living in your mansion and, and you have your restaurant empire and you have your TikTok. If empire. that happens in 10 years, I will give you a call and I'll be very happy to say that you're right. Okay. You were right. <laughs> yes. I think I deserve some uh, royalties from, from predicting it. Um, well, uh, yeah, well, this was so much fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and uh and i can't wait to see what you do next thank you thank you so much this was so much fun